lucky to have been born to parents who attentively listened to my demands at just four years old that I was to play the fiddle. I have no memory of this and therefore no memory of a time when I didn't play this perfect instrument. From the seemingly endless repertoire, the Irish slowers are some of my favourite melodies to play. My emotional connection with these melodies is, by now, a deeply personal one. Yet they hold such a strong sense of our cultural history that they can sometimes feel a bit weighted. Like there's a responsibility to keep them true, authentic. Every air I learned, I still play. And along with the passing years, my understanding of these airs grows. And yet they are still so mysterious to me. So last summer, I gathered my microphones and fiddle and I took to the road to meet storytellers, local historians and fellow musicians to discover more about them, from their birthplaces to where they are now. This exploration had me constantly wondering, what is a slow air? I began in the heart of rural Waterford, where I met Monny Hallahan, whose late grandfather, Pother Gomelay, composed Shlieve Galgua, a song which so eloquently describes the particular heartache felt by an emigrant who yearns for home. As father would he gain me, him he cush gone my grandfather was sociable I wouldn't really <laughs> he was a sort of a quiet person he was very observant and, and uh, I, I shouldn't be saying but I did think that his knowledge of Irish was amazing but that came from where he first of all from where he was born and from the people he mixed with he, the, he wasn't a, a republican in the Yarm sense of the world but he was a republican and he was a traditionalist and when he went to Wales my grandmother Ellen Cullinan went with him. They weren't married at the time, but they got married shortly after arriving in, 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 in Swansea in a place called Clidock. And he got a job there working in a place called the Mons, Nickel Mons, not the Mines, the Mons. A lot of people often confused it that he worked in the Mines, but he never did. He worked in the Nickel Mons. But whilst in Swansea, he wrote some of his best stuff. He wrote the song that you hear him tomorrow sing, and Shreve Galgo. And uh, all the songs had a great meaning. It was this meaning I was hoping to find more about. Hello, Moni. Hi. Hi. Good, thank you. Good to see you. God, it's um, and every now and this this end of the country you? before. You're from Donegal originally, you said, yeah. Yeah, well, my dad's from. This is Torinina, as I say, but you're in the right heart of Schlievgo. We'll go to the community centre if you like. Money kindly gathered a group of local troops to help me in my search, so we all met over a cup of tea in the Torinina community centre. Anya, sorry, this is Anya Gallagher. Oh yes. And she's maybe you do a program. Yeah. If we're good enough, you know. If not, she'll be in it. Exactly. Anyway, t- t- thanks for coming, yeah, Tomas. Yeah. Tomas is our singer. Yeah. In recent years, going back a good bit, if we ever wanted someone to sing in the locality, Shreve Galgo, Tomas is the man. And our mind shame has come a boilta, ishke hindlas na shevar, 
Nor a scoppin tassin a grena, O spare galgon small. No damning shun shoot fwin a railta, nor a hidden drought around. And you're going out, you better show them the stage. Oh, I will. I yeah, guess we were talking about the chair. The stage. The stage in this concrete stage. That's right. My grandfather um, got, built a small stage, concrete stage, in the corner of a field near the house. That's right. Yeah. Near the house where they were living in the gap. And the bit of concrete is still underneath the grass. It is, it is. It's still there anyway, so if you feel like going out there tomorrow, <laughs> we'll hit them. <laughs> So that's where Portugal Gomelé spent a lot of his early life until 1937. So this is the ruins of the house on the That's right. the ruins of the house, yeah, and, and the, this is the, the stage. stage was just beyond the fence there. It was just beyond the fence. It was there, but sure. It was a concrete stage, which the grasses have to go on over it. And so it was a stage for dancing? It was a stage for dancing. This is where... Outdoors. All this set dancing really started in this area. Oh yeah, we do. We know who put the air to Shreve Gangu. It was a fellow by the name of Hardybeck. He was a friend of my grandfather's. Well, there was different airs came after, but the original air of Shreve Gangu was, 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 was composed by a fellow by the name of Hardy, Hardybeck, a German, as they call him. Oh, he wrote it. Oh, I know that, because uh, I was told that by my mother going back in donkey's years ago. And uh, he was thought that my grandfather always said it. And he was friendly with this chap. Uh, Shreve Gangu was basically nearly always the same year, though. Yeah, yes, yes, mm. yes, it is. August My grandfather was a very good concertina player. In fact, we still have his concertina. So my grandfather's love was, was music as well. And uh, I was looking to hold on to the concertina. This is Nile Valley you're in now. You're just close to a place called Kilkenny. Up there you go to the right, you go to where my grandmother was born. This house they moved into, they didn't stay too long because it was a funny sort of a house. But, but we won't go into that. It's supposed to be haunted. <laughs> that is... Well over a hundred years old. Yeah. This is Paul Greg Millet's concertina. That's his concertina. Is it the only one he owned? That's all. That was it. All his life. From, from Wales it came. You won't get much of it. In a failure, it's good girl.
That's amazing. That's it, Chet. That's amazing. You're right, because, okay, the, the man that did the repairs on it played a little bit on it. Funny enough, that half note, a B-flat in this case, that Podrick's concertina wasn't designed to play, is, as we'll hear, crucial to the essence of Schlieffgalgua. Schlieffgalgua is essentially in the Mixolydian mode, uh, which is a fairly common mode in, in trad music, but essentially what it means, it's a major scale, a normal major scale, but with a flattened seventh. So that's your major scale, whereas the Mixolydian mode Just that one little change from that F sharp to F natural totally changes the colour. So it kind of it opens up a much kind of darker world than our usual major scale or our standard minor scales that we might use in classical music. The Mixolydian mode originated in ancient Greece but is heard ever since in all kinds of music, such as Bach, the Beatles, and Beyonce. My name is Ryan Malloy. I'm an associate professor of composition at Maynooth University. I'm a performer as well as being a composer, and a lot of my work is very influenced or informed by traditional music, because I, I was brought up as a, as a fiddler. And um, you're a slightly unusual player in that you are not a trial player or a classical player. Well, you are both, but you but you meld the two and when you play. So you're not like, with this piece, you wouldn't necessarily be a purist with it. They, <laughs> yes, so you've hit on a, a composition that I did that was influenced by Sleeve Galgua. I had, a, I had a, a kind of a melody that was very loosely based on the contour of the air. So if you think of da 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 da, I'm deliberately not singing the notes, yeah. but that shape, you know, so you might have something like that, you know, so it goes up and down in the same way. I decided that I would record these tunes myself on the piano and include them as a CD along with the score that the pianist would have to learn by ear and recreate themselves. And it was a bit of a risk, to be honest, to, to take because oral learning isn't something that classical musicians do really at all. But my experiment worked. In the past, I have at times felt the typical pangs of guilt due to my limited grasp of the Irish language. The Irish words never seemed hugely important for me to know. Padre Gaudmalay had a very different relationship with them. Shemalain na vurus togant, Elaine is morquid jolish, Inyelin usal kilver, bahiota mavail. Oh, I am sad that I wasn't reared with learning and with art. In the noble, melodious Irish tongue, my mouth would have its part. It's not something you think about much when you're playing trad tunes, is like, what's the nuts and bolts of the tune? You just play the tune. And uh, now, to my shame, I don't know the words of the, the song. Or I, yeah. There could be a connection in the words that kind of requires that extra bit of nyah, you know, um, which, is, which is what it is. Yeah, it's a funny thing, as fiddle players originally, I think, 
the words just tend to pass you by for a good while until you realise that maybe I'm, I'm kind of getting to a stage where maybe I should learn the words to all these airs that I play because it really seems to be, I guess if you're playing them, if you're looking for that really purest traditional way of playing an air. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? And that we were always told that if you really wanted to do well in the air competition, that you should know the words and know the way the melody turns and where it needs to move quicker or where there should or should not be ornamentation. But there's another school of thought, which is that we have this huge store of melodies which are beautiful in their own right outside of the words and you can do what you like with them and for those of us that aren't blessed with good singing voices or an extensive knowledge of the lyrics of these songs um, we can still enjoy them and do lots of interesting things with them um, as theirs. That's also the fun thing about uh, harmony and when yeah. you start to add in this extra dimension there, it brings out parts of the tune that you mightn't have expected, or because that's also something we don't really do is we don't play airs with with people. They're a, they're a solo thing. I don't think anyone would say that the original has been lost. It's actually we have been enriched with all these different versions. The core is still there. And it's one of the marvellous things about tr the tradition is that it's so malleable. Bartok always said that of, of uh, Hungarian folk music that was, you know, you could, do the you could treat it in the most outrageous way, but it would still, the folk music would still survive, basically. It's really resilient. Steve Gua, I went far north, to the Glen Tavern pub specifically, around four miles from Glenties, which sits quietly beside a bridge that crosses the Onia River. Paddy's Rambles Through the Park is credited to John Doherty. Born in nearby Ardra in 1900 to a family of travelling tinsmiths, John didn't really own a fiddle as such and relied upon the house fiddles that would have been common at the time. He travelled all over Donegal, played all sorts of music and it's said he composed many tunes too. Paddy's Rambles Through the Park is one of the first airs I learned and I simply love it. Slow airs are usually derived from Shannon's songs. There are no words to this air, so you might ask, can it even be considered one? Well, yes. Although atypical, it is still a piece of traditional music, absent of strict metre and melodically loose. It's haunting, has great dynamic range, and because it's one of the few airs without associated words, I find it easier to stretch and really indulge in it. It's a fiddler's dream, as is Donegal, of course. So there, out the back of the Glen Tavern pub on a wet Donegal night, I met the renowned local fiddlers, Tara Conahan, Ronan Galvin, Jimmy Campbell and his son Peter for a session and some chat. I think I Ronan here in my young days. Just a fiddle hanging and they used to call it the brass on the wall. Mm. And people would come in at night in the winter time 
there would be rakers to call them. Mm. That's when the hay was in and everything was done, and they visited one another. And then it would be all talking about farming and sheep. But then my mother would make the tea, and after that the fiddles would come down. But that's uh, that's the life they had, you know. Mm. And the, the place was full of musicians. What's Jeez. the story? Because I don't know the story at all. Or I've forgotten it anyway. Do you know the stories? John Carter used to tell it. You know it. He was coming back from some party somewhere or something along, you know, Lonely Road. And apparently he walked past this meadow and could hear this tune coming from it. So he stopped for a while and listened. And the tune was lovely anyway. And as John says, he decided to go in and investigate. So he went in and in this field there was, um, I can't say it properly, but, you know, carns, heaps of stones, all gathered to... Yeah, carns. Yeah. ...to make something, walls or houses or whatever. But there was a number of these around anyway, so when he went to the first carn, the tune was at the next carn. It, you know, it moved. So he went on to the next carn anyway. When he got there, he was at the next carn. So he had to go again. This went on for a while anyway. And that's how he got the name Paddy's Rambles to the park. Mm. Yeah. Apparently, anyway. Well, that's, that's the way the daughters used to do it. Mm. Yeah, I always heard that he got stuck in a ferry port and he was roaming around for so many hours and then when he finally emerged and finally got out of the fort in the morning, this tune was in his head. What? That was another one. That's mm. another story. No. What about the man? All that, stories grow legs. What about the man that woke up on the what do you call it? Seashore. Seashore. That was Anthony Halford. That's well. Anthony Halford. Two and the Farrell. Two and the Farrell. Two and the Farrell. Two and the Farrell. And McKeith, his brother as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so what was he like as a as a man, as a person? What was he like? Who? John. A gentleman. Yeah. A oh. gentleman. And all of the most gentlemen. Mickey, Simon, all of the most lovely people. John already visited my grandfather's pub in Ardra. And the greenhouse he used to be in there quite a lot, so I was too young. He died when I was four or something, so I may have been in, in his company, but... You were? Know, was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> grow, grow legs in the story. I could have been... We have a chair that he sat on. Imagine that. <laughs> the straws. But he... It seems like it was, it was genuinely in... Everyone. Most of the houses. Yeah. So he was kind of like the gramophone of the day. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to think about this. Yeah. Yeah. From Glenties, I went further north to ground much more familiar to me. 
Gortahork, which neighbours Falcara, where my dad's side are from, and where I spent many childhood summers. I used to play in a music evening on Tuesday nights in the Chachan Hill in Gortahork, and I always admired the fiddle playing of another local girl, Teresa Kavanagh. Now both adult women, I am still in admiration of her playing. I called to her in Gortork as I had a feeling she would be just as intrigued by this melody as I am. Hi, Teresa. So I learned it from Princess Mweeney, Francie Mooney, over and we were doing lessons in Derry Connor School. And I don't know that I actually had a huge experience of playing slow airs at that point. And I remember really struggling with the idea of phrasing. But when I heard Dermot Byrne play it, it just, it, it really did blow me away. And I heard him live as well, which I think always makes a difference. A live performance is just something spectacular because the emotion and everything that's carried with that um, just touches your heart, doesn't it? Mm, yeah. And I find that even teaching, I find a lot of students really struggle with that idea of a breath at the end of the phrase. They really, it's almost like they're afraid of silence, you know, it's kind of funny. <laughs> um, what do you think is the creative license that a player has with a melody? I think it should be recognisable. I think that's number one, because sometimes people can go off maybe a wee bit too far. And I think the set accented tones of a tune are a really staple part. So if we can kind of keep based around those, then it, it, it should remain pretty true to the tune while allowing room for some variation in it. But I wouldn't like to limit somebody's creativity because if that was the case, then like Tommy Potts, for example, who really did his own thing. Mm. And would it have been right to say that he was wrong? Do you know what I mean? I, like you, I think that's the beautiful thing about any kind of art, whether it's visual arts or media or music, dance, it doesn't matter. It's about creativity. It's about learning the boundaries, looking back, but being able to move forward and create something new. I just tuned to myself so I could be way off. <laughs> well, I just tuned to myself as well, so I don't know who's right. Um, the phrasing in the second part, well, if we're calling it parts, I don't know. And you kind of go into the next phrase. Or there's a, you have a different placement of an accent. Mm -hmm. And it's much more um, strict, I think, in my one. It's like... Similarly to how you play it, um, 
but it was actually from looking at other other tunes. There's another air that has a, a repeated part three times over, mm. and and I thought if you just play that same night, it was literally exactly identical three times. And I just thought if you just play that three times, that's going to get so boring. And then I thought, okay, so you need to do something with it. You need to just change the expression. Obviously, you can't change like the notes too much, but just do something around it. And then I suppose when I was kind of playing around with that other thing. And I came back to this, I kind of thought, okay, there's a way around doing this. And again, um, I think I do play that slightly differently to Dermot Byrne, but in his rendition again, it was that, it was the fluency of it. There was a fluid motion in it that made sense to me. Mm. Uh, and and that helped me to break away from, as you say, if I use your words, the rigidity of, of that, that little section, because even though, yeah, that sequence is important to kind of bring that out, I just wanted to bring it out in my own way. And I think it's that beyond recognition. And I think when we're talking about the phrase, again, you know, I would describe it as sense and nonsensical rather than right and wrong. Yeah. You know, it's about it's about making musical sense. And I suppose an air like Paddy's Rambles, there's no lyrics with that. It's a different thing with a song air because you are, even if you're playing without the singer or without the lyrics, you do want to kind of keep the lyrics in mind because the lyrics make sense of the song and tell the story. And therefore, in order to tell the story through music, you're still trying to honor those lyrics. Do you get what I mean? Whereas with a, a, an air like Patty Shambles that doesn't have lyrics, um, it's about making musical sense. But for me, that's how how I would approach it, so. Mm, that makes um, sense. <laughs> the southwesterly road from Donegal is fairly windy, but it gave me a chance to consider my next stop. To explore a song which details a boating tragedy in which 19 people drowned in the year 1828, on Ireland's vast lake, which connects Galway and a small corner of Mayo, Loch Arb. Anak Coon was composed by Antoine O'Raftery. Raftery, blind and illiterate, composed love songs, songs in praise of sporting heroes, and political songs. But most significant was his awareness of his role in speaking to the people in their own native language, a language that was being pushed to the edge. I went to the song's nameplace of Anak Doon, or Anna Down, to meet the great accordion player Martine O'Connor, who lives there just yards from the Carb Lake shore. Martine. Anya, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? How are you doing? I'm good. Great. How are you? Not too bad. Nice to meet you. Yeah. It was on a visit to my grandparents, my paternal grandparents, mm -hmm. and they both played that little black horner accordion that they used to pass back and forth to each other. Oh, right. Suggesting tunes uh, one Sunday when we went to visit there and they were at this caper of passing the instrument back and forth and, and I was mesmerised. And then they left it in one of the bedrooms in the house and I couldn't resist the urge to go. But I, I felt an immediate affinity with it. I, I can't explain it. Well, maybe tell us, first of all, where exactly we are in relation to that era, which is kind of interesting. Right. 
in relation to the air we're in on Akuna, that there are about, I think, 64 townlands in this locality, and this particular townland is just known as Anna Down. It's kind of steeped in, in history. Like, as I look out the window here, I'm looking at an old de Burgo castle, yeah. which dates from sometime around the 1440s. And our next-door neighbour down the other way, had we been living here about 1,500 years ago, would have been St. Brendan the Navigator, who founded that, that monastery. It's, well, it's obviously an old ruin now, and it would have been probably a wooden construction at the time. And uh, across the road as well is where the site of the old pier was. You had 31 people on that space and you had about 10 sheep or something. And one of the sheep seems to have got a bit giddy and put his leg down through the floor. And the timber was in bad shape anyway, I think. And uh, one of the men... It's, it's funny, in school we were told it was a woman. I mean... <laughs> we shouldn't laugh. It was a woman that kind of tried to seal it up with her shawl. But apparently it was a man that pushed his jacket down, trying to keep the water out, and maybe he dislodged a floorboard, or maybe the whole thing was kind of kind of rotten anyway. Norvor on Tiena, os Cornaniena. A vekal shinta aun, er cool again. Scradach is quina. Askan Rok Dina. Gruig Kira is on crack orin. Wasn't it a wonder for the people to see them stretched out there? Screeching and wailing that would terrify people. Tearing of hair and grief being shared. But he he painted an incredible picture of the the emotional impact that that the event had on the people. It must have devastated the, the, the local people. Like there's very graphic uh, description, wonderful descriptions by Raftery in the poem of the event, just despite the names being kind of a bit, maybe it was poetic license or whatever. But he certainly succeeded in expressing the unbelievable grief that it caused people. I suppose, in a very general sense, our traditional music is there to express our soul's cry and our soul's joy. After playing a few tunes at Martinez's daughter Kira, it's probably yeah, it's probably one of the first Donegal tunes that you. Would have yeah. One of the great benefits to making this program 
I travelled a few minutes down the road along the lake to Anna Down Castle to meet Jessica Cook, who lives on the grounds. Anna Down is a bit of a... It's a bit of a sort of magical place, really. It's on the southeastern shore of Loch Corrib, so in the past, traditionally, the route anywhere would be by lake. There would be a lot of contact between the eastern shore of Loch Corrib and the western shore of Loch Corrib. So, you know, the lake was their hub rather than a barrier. So my name is Jessica Cook and I research the medieval history of West Connacht. It became rather uh, forgotten about, um, which in archaeological terms is a good thing because it means that the buildings remain, the, the, the monastery remains, the holy wells remain. And really it was difficult enough to get to until they built the Hedford Road from Galway. Uh, you would either take the bridal path to Clare Galway in order to get to Galway from Anadown, or you would go by boat. So the lake really was the road until the early 20th century. Such a different way of thinking about a lake now. Absolutely, it is. Yeah, we see it as a barrier, but it wasn't then. It, it, it was the road, yeah. So I guess there's a, there's a very rich history also of boats on the lake and of ships. Absolutely. Um, so it wouldn't have been unusual for a boat to be out on the lake with so many people and animals no. in the time that it was out there. Not unusual at all, yeah. Whatever the conditions of the water, and I don't know what they would be, there are boats that are there from the Mesolithic period, you know, long, long ago, that are dugout oak uh, log boats from trees that are so big we wouldn't see them today. They would have been cut down huge trees so the floor of the lake is absolutely littered with with the history of navigation i guess with 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 boats that sank anakakoon is a great example of how successful the oral tradition can be in preservation in preserving a moment or an event this journey of preservation can be long and meandering Words detail a story, these words are put to song. The song is sung across the land. Musicians learn a melody. They then play it far and wide. The words at some point may be lost, but maybe, if the melody survives, we might have a chance of finding our way back to the story. Of course, today, the methods of keeping those events and songs alive can look very different. Lilith O'Leary, renowned singer, happens to be a close neighbour of Martine's. Now... Unfortunately, he wasn't there when I called by, but very kindly recorded the song as he has always sung it and got it to me via WhatsApp. <laughs> Rain and rust, 
Raftery himself remains a cleaning graveyard near to where he died. I was directed there in convoy by Miholo Kaneja, who is very familiar with the place and song. You're coming to now, uh, after this junction, the next junction, go past that entrance and go out, as I said, through the village of Orne Moor, and then after Orne Moor, the next place is Crockwell. Okay. And um, Crockwell, uh, when Raftery, that was kind of the furthest south that he used to go, and uh, when he was ill, he stayed at the house of a man called Dear McClunan, and he died there, and he's buried there. And um, Lady Gregory, around the year 1900, she was really uh, taken with Raftley's poems and his songs and so on. And so she did. Wow. Bye, Michal. That's a pretty fancy set of wheels. Good <laughs> <laughs> <Before> for you. <laughs> so, Tommy didn't saw, it's a relic. Uh, we're in the graveyard and it says Philly Kaharin on Devane. Tana Philly, the Drahar Marcus O'Callnoin, Shachtig Hochtoneg, the Ochtig Dahadashe, Agus Patsy O'Callnoin, Shachtig Nechahain, Gudi Hochtig Shasakuig, Kurta and so, Igilinin. Aspirla, we're at the graveyard of the poets of Kahin Devan. The brother poets Mark Callanan, 1789 to 1846, and Patsy Callanan, 1791 to 1865, are buried here in Killineen. So, Shanae, Agus this was erected, as I understand it, in the year 1900, with funds gathered by Lady Gregory and W.B. Yeats. After there was no stone before that. When she was young, she heard Irish and learned Irish and she took great interest in it. And she re-immersed herself, you could say, really, in the stories. When they came to um, order this headstone that we're looking at here, the man whose house that she ordered it from, he had a collection of manuscripts of some of the songs of Raftery. And so she was amazed at that connection. In a way, you could say, he documented like Anna Cohen. He wasn't there at the time, but he came to the area and he wrote that lament within a few weeks. And other people added verses afterwards, but it's his words, his verses that have survived. And the same with Kileadon and some of the other poems. You could say that he was like the Christy Moore of his time. He captured the essence, the soul of a story. And in that sense, he became, I suppose, the voice of the the time, the voice of the people. So they become part of the tradition. In that sense, his voice lives on. Yeah. And maybe while we're standing here, you could tell me a bit about, well, you've been of great assistance to me in my search <laughs> to uncover some details about Raftree and about Alcun. And then you have connections also we've discovered in Dingle and to the Blaspets. Sean O'Donnelly, yeah. We'll start with the Kerry connections because they go back further. Yeah. So the poem and the song Beauty, Death and the Lawn that was written by Sean O'Dean Lee 
is about a race, a Corach race, a Naivog race, inventory, supposedly that took place in 1885. And three years later, in 1888, one of the people who was in that boat, his name was Michal Virish O'Cahan, and I'm named after him, uh, he married a lady called Mal Kavanagh, and they moved to the mainland, and they had a daughter called Ellen, Eileen Nichohan, and she was our grandmother. So the man in the boat, one of the crew in Beauty Dasson Alon, was my great grandfather. Mm, it's amazing. And um, that connection is just yeah. unbelievable. And so follows my final stop on this exploration to Dingle, Dunquin and the Blasket Islands, where there is a very different boating event memorialised in song. In Beauty Jazz and Alon, a gorgeous melody in which, although the notation is straightforward, the phrasing and structure is a bit more complex. Brandon Begley, according to my research, is the only known person to record this slow air. So it was only right to go straight to the source. I suppose the most famous air that has come from the Basket Island would be part of the Bukui. But um, this song was written in 1880 by Sean Odin who was the poet from the Great Basket after a, a, a crew from the Blasket won the regatta in Ventry. And I suppose the most famous person that was in the boat was the husband uh, later of Peg Sayers. I think he was one of the crew. And I suppose there were more people on the mainland than there were on the Blaskets. And it was strange that the Blasket Island people would beat the people of the mainland. But beat them they did and they beat them well. Some people maintain that it has something to do with naiv, nevog, but I don't think so. I think it's Greek and Latin, navis. Uh, I sail, that's what for the Greek is, navis, a navigator. It was also at the time when everybody just spoke Irish and it was cool to use English words. So they, they gave it the beauty because it was really well built by a man called Hartney from below the hill. And also you don't build an ivog, you make an ivog. You build a boat because you start at the keel and you come up. But with the naivog, you start at the gunnel. Yeah, so dinin to naivog, achtogu to baad. There's an air called Kalin Dasuat. That was the air I had heard before. But Pardigam alone, I think, Tomaso Klihin of Ntilanach was his stepfather or something. He, was, he, he had a very close relationship with him. So he knew him very well, and I met him in Dublin, Padraig, in 1978 in Club Honda. And through Finino Tuama, I got a recording of him singing to this air, and I think it's a beautiful air. Well, according to him, that was the air they had on, 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 on the Great Basket. And any time I met Paddy after that, I had to, I'd have to play the air for him, and he'd sing it. It's funny because it is, as you say, a celebratory song. Yeah, so, yeah. And the area it, it does have a, yeah. a kind of uh, mournful sound to it. Yes, yeah. It's got depth, I think. Ah, uh, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's a song to know other words. 
Okay, so yeah. it's yeah, so it's specific to this. Yeah, to song. that song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, whereas the Kalidastro, there are various songs, even in English, there there are various words in English to that. Mm. But this one, there's only the one, and it was Paddy the only man that I heard what to say her. But to me, um, a slow air is the air of a story, and the story is the song. And that's definitely in um, Beauty Das and Lowen. If you see it in your head, the words, the ornaments are bound to be cha- be different because it's not the same words and you're trying to sing it with the, with the notes so naturally you get the variations of verses from the words. And so some people maintain that I don't need the words, I can play it. And it's true. But if there's somebody sitting beside you that knows the words of the song, and no matter how well you play in that air, and if that air that's been played beautifully doesn't fit the words that you have in your head, well, the beauty of that air is lost to the person who knows the words. I suppose knowing where that song, that air came from, what you have in mind is the sea, the sea lifting and the sea dropping down. And you go out to sea today and it's just so beautiful. You go out to sea the following day, you don't want to be there. With the power of it, the danger of it. And it's so much like the human mind, the sea. The sea can be calm like the mind. The sea can be lively like the mind. It can be dangerous. It can be the most beautiful place in the world and yet the most horrible place in the world. Have you been in that Vogue before? No, never. No, good. No, for some. This is a three-person one. And there's four four man levels. It's the traditional well they start making them smaller. Yours is the narrow at the end. They are um, the length gives them the the power. But they're narrow for choppy water. And they're not catching the wind on the way back either. They say that the Kelly Mevo is much more elegant than the Galway Coruch. She rises at the back, as well as the front. The, the Galway Coruch kind of sits on a arse in the wall. That's lovely. Mm. It's nice out here, yeah. Yeah, they're like the cone, basically. Yeah. They're so light. It's the, the canvas. It's, it's just canvas that's with tar on it, so it's maybe at most three mil, four mil. Yeah. And take this. in the sea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Advised me that it wasn't the conditions to row the Navogue all the way out to the Blaskets, unfortunately. So the following morning, I took the sturdier ferry instead.
Manchester in Ireland and we're in the ferry, although Matt Brandon over there is the second highest. And I just saw earlier, you can already see some of the Blasket Islands and you can see the Skelligs, Skellig Michael. We landed for the afternoon and I roamed the ground where the song was likely composed. So I just got to the composer's house, or what's said to be his house, Sean Dunleavy. Sean Dunleavy, also known as own. It's very cute and neat in scale. When you see it on a day like today, you can imagine how one would be a poet living in this house. The scene in front, looking out from the window, is the sheer cliffs across in Kerry. You can see Dunquin. And the colour of the sea is just really bright, azure, kind of blue. It's breathtaking. Funny enough, the windows to the houses, they're not facing towards the view or towards the sea. The gables are all facing the sea. Probably has something to do with weather. But I also wonder, has it something to do with facing another house? Facing another family, as opposed to facing a view? It's kind of startling when you look at it, actually, as opposed to the west of Ireland today, and the coast and the really scenic regions. All the houses are looking out. Everyone's looking out. But here it seems that everyone was facing each other. You really get the feel for what the community might have been like and how close-knit they must have been. The wind has calmed a bit and the rain seems to have gone. Oh, wow, when the sun comes out and shines on that beach, the water just changes colour immediately. It brightens. It's so clear. Oh. Looks very inviting. I'm gonna have to go down for a dip. I find it a very lonely place. I find it very sad. I know that some people find it peaceful and beautiful out there, but I suppose I, when I was young, I lived on a couple of islands. My dad was manager of the co-op on Inishir and on Cape Clear. So uh, my experience is with islands that have a living community on them. And so to see a place abandoned is very sad to me because it was such an incredible place in terms of culture, community, uh, and all that goes along with that. My name is Maureen Cowley. I'm a singer and a musician. I'm here in 
my music room on the top of a hill in Kirkagreena in West Kerry. There are a few versions and I sing the up-tempo version, which is the same air as on Colleen Das Rua. So it's kind of a jaunty little number. <laughs> but I think it's appropriate because it's a celebration. You know, they won a race. From the point of view of being a singer and a flute player, I love the connection between the voice and the flute, the physicality of the flute. It kind of reminds me of singing because it's your own breath going through it. And so when I'm playing a slow air, I'm very often thinking of the song attached to that slow air and the words, and I'm kind of playing the words, if that makes sense. There are so many people who are really purist in the traditional scene and that's fantastic we really need those people but it's great to have space for all the creative people as well who want to explore it and move it further and yeah. see what new sounds can be created out of it yeah it's in a really interesting space right now virgil who took me rowing on the navog and dingle phoned me one afternoon when i was back in dublin to let me know he had come across information to suggest that nula nigonal one of our great living poets has a connection with the poet Sean Dunleavy. The slow airs is my beginning and my my end. Hello, Nilla. Uh, hi. Nice to meet you. <laughs> so I'm told. Well, at least my oh, my grandmother told my mother when she was young, very young that she was related to Sean Dunleavy, and that the Dunleavies who went to Clown and uh, Glenfawn, uh, were the same Dunleavies. I don't know why, um, that why she would say uh, there was a relationship if there wasn't one. Yeah. Well, if we know anything from learning about the tradition behind slow airs, we know that the oral tradition is actually one of the most important ones. And that's that's another part of the oral tradition is just knowing about those connections through conversation and not necessarily written down. And you mention him in one of your early poems. My early poems, yeah. I I say that from four generations came down to me the gift of poetry and the gift of philiacht from Charles Dinklay himself. I learned the musicality of words and the richness of words and the notation of words through the slow air. And, and to this day, when I'm in a bad mood, I'll sing slow air to myself. Keeps me happy, you know. Da, 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 well, we come from a different approach to this there. I'm a fiddle player, so I only ever learned the melody, mm-hmm. really, yeah. until I was a little older and I realised how important the words are. And then I tried to retrace my steps and learn some of the words to the melodies that I knew. But I don't have them... The words are not within me when I'm oh, playing yeah, the yeah, melody. Yeah, I know, but the melodies are, but it's the same thing. I mean, the melodies are and the words are. And I, I think that I don't, I don't see any great um, differentiation between the two. It doesn't matter. It's the most beautiful um, airs that are there. Nula's words reassured me. Throughout my travels, I felt at times embarrassed that I couldn't speak to the people I met in their own language, in my own language. When I play these airs, I don't sadly have the words in me as reference. 
but I do have the history, the stories, and the strong desire to keep them alive. These details of these songs were never written in stone, but the songs and melodies will continue to grow with us all. Therefore, the enchanting and resilient Irish slow air will never be lost.